not going to be long tonight. Let me pray, and then we can do this. God, I thank you for, for your word, and God, I just ask you to be with me tonight. I come to you humbly. Um, Lord, keep me humble. Lord, let your spirit work through me. Let your spirit speak to us through your holy, inspired, perfect word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. We're going to just jump straight into it. This is Paul. He's speaking to the Philippians, and this is what he says. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. All right, so our first word is what? What's the first word in verse 12? Therefore. And as good Bible students, what do we do? We find out what it's, what it's there for. Find out what the therefore is there for. Very good. And so usually that means we have to go back again. And uh, we're not going to go all the way back and, and look at everything, but I'll just summarize the previous verses for you. Paul lays out for the Philippians the humility of Jesus Christ, how Jesus was, was in heaven and you know, enjoying perfect fellowship with the Father and had all of this glory and, and, and power and honor, and he chose to put all of that aside and come to earth and be obedient to the will of the Father, to obey God, even though it meant Jesus losing, uh, you know, pleasure, comfort, he chose to put all of those things aside just to be obedient to, to God the Father. And the previous verses say that he was even obedient to the point of death. And not just any kind of death. Like, he didn't just come to earth and die like anybody else. Like, he died a death on the cross, which was the most shameful death that you could die in those days. Being crucified, some people wouldn't even speak of it in public because it was such a shameful, embarrassing way to die. And that's the way that Jesus died. He, was, he lived a life of per, total humility and total obedience. And so now, Paul is saying, therefore, in light of the obedience of Christ, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. All right, so he says, my beloved, he's, he's like, I love you guys. And so we see this relationship that Paul has with the Philippians. He wasn't just some big, you know, dictatorial ruler, pastor, guy who just tells them everything that they have to do, and so they do it. No, Paul was, he was a compassionate guy. He had a relationship with them, and, and there was this relationship where it was, they felt safe. They felt comfortable obeying Paul, and, you know, Paul loved them. And so, based on this love that Paul has for them, he, he asked them to obey. And he, uh, he, says, he says, as you have always obeyed. So, we see that the Philippians had a history of obedience. A history of doing what Paul had asked them to do. Now, this is significant because the Philippians are different than, than another church that Paul had. The Corinthians. Uh, the Corinthians were a, a group of people who, they were, they were one of the most messed up churches in the New Testament. Right, Sean? 
I mean, they had, they had sons sleeping with their moms. Uh, they were suing each other. They, um, what else did they do? They, they picked certain people who they liked. They, they thought that they were more spiritual than everybody else. They were filled with pride. Um, they, they had all kinds of, you know, they were really messed up. And what they would do is Paul would come to them and teach them, and, and they would respond. But then when Paul left, they would talk about him and say, who Paul think he is? He ain't nobody, you know. He's this little small man. He don't even speak good in public. If you, like, Paul writes almost the whole set book of 2 Corinthians just to defend himself. Because these, these, the Corinthians, were, were, they would always talk about him behind his back and say that he was not worth listening to. He wasn't as powerful as, as these other people. And, but Paul is saying to the Philippians, he's like, no, you guys, you guys have always obeyed. You have obeyed when I was there. And, and because of that, he's, he's going to ask them to obey when he's not there. He says, uh, he says so now... Not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. When, it, when you guys are in school and the teacher leaves the room, does your behavior change? No, not at all, right? When you're out with your friends, when you're out hanging out at the mall, are, do you act differently than if your parents were right there with you. See, Paul understands, Paul understands that we have a tendency to act differently around different people. And so he's asking the Philippians, you know, don't just do this because I'm here now. Do this all the time when I'm not here, when I'm not around. He's saying, don't just give lip service because you're afraid you'll get in trouble. And to be honest, that's why most of us obey, right? We obey because we're afraid to get in trouble. But that's not what Paul wants. Paul wants them to obey, and we'll see later on at the end of this passage, he wants them to obey so that they can rejoice. So that they can rejoice. Not just because they're afraid of getting in trouble. Right? And so we, uh, we have... We have all these different people that, that we act differently around. We have our friends. We act a certain way around them. We have our boss that we act a certain way around. We have our parents. We have our pastor. Who else? I don't know. Your teachers in school? See, for so many of us, we, we act it's, it's situational. Like, what, depending on the situation or the group of friends that we're in, we will behave a certain way. And in some cases, it's appropriate, right? In some cases, it's appropriate. You don't know certain people a certain way. But for some of you, when you're at church, you play the game. And you're the good little Christian teenager. But when you're at school, you're a demon. And your teachers are pulling their hairs out and they're going, they need therapy because, because some of you think that because your parents aren't around, because your pastor isn't around, that you have free reign to do whatever you want. But that's, that's not what God wants. All right.
when we, when we do this, when we act certain ways around different people, then we end up like the girl in the video. We end up confused. We end up putting on, you know, all these different outfits to match who we want to hang out with. What we are supposed to be doing is having a set character of obedience, not just, you know, I can get away with this around these people. I can get away with this in school around these friends because no one's around to bust me. And we all do this, right? We all do this. So my question to you is, are you going to be a Philippian or a Corinthian? Are you going to be the, 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 the Philippian, the person who has character, the person who will do what's right even if it's hard, even if it makes you uncomfortable, even if your friends give you dirty looks or make fun of you? Are you going to obey and do what God has asked you to do? Some of you have been doing the right thing. Some of you have been in situations in school where, you know, your friends are, it would be so easy to do something and nobody would say anything. But you know what God has called you to. Some of you are just giving in. I want to say to the people who are, who are wrestling and struggling that, that I am proud of you. But for those of you who, who just go with the flow of, of whatever any, anyone else is doing, you guys need to shape up. And we're going we're gonna to figure out why. We're going to learn why. Paul says. Um, so he says, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation, your own salvation, with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now he tells them, Work out your salvation. What does that mean? They've already got their salvation. They're not working for their salvation. Okay? So they've already got their salvation. It's time to work it out. Now, when you're in math and your teacher tells you, uh, I don't want to just see the answer. I want to see your work. Right? Why do they say that? So, so What? You can't look at the back of the book and cheat? Yeah. Well, what's their, what's their goal? So that they know you understand it, okay? And so it's in the same way, God wants you to understand your salvation, to understand how to live out your salvation. And so he's going to bring along these things, these, you know, these processes, these trials, these temptations. Well, God doesn't tempt anyone, but... But these situations are going to come up where you're going to have a chance to obey or you're going to have a chance to do nothing and just be another, you know, another average, normal person who, who doesn't care about God. <clears throat> I got I to gotta go quick because we're almost done. Um, he tells them to work out their salvation uh, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection, that's where your salvation comes from. It's not how much you work for it, all right? But this working out is kind of a, it's like, okay, I've got my salvation. What, what is this all about? 
what is my salvation all about? So it's, it's a continual thing. It's not something like, I got saved when I was five, and that's all I need, you know? I don't need to obey anymore. It's okay if I cuss out my parents. You know, it's okay if I gossip. Well, it's not okay, but it's not that big a deal. We find all these ways to justify doing all these things. You know, I, I, yeah, we, I made out with my boyfriend. Yeah, we felt each other up. All these kind of things. And that's, that's not working out your salvation, all right? Your salvation is supposed to be a continual process. Now, hmm. How are we supposed to work out our salvation? He says, with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Are we supposed to be afraid? As Christians, are we supposed to be scared all the time? No, it just means, it just means take it seriously. Take your faith, take your salvation seriously. But some of you can't take anything spiritual seriously. When someone wants to talk about God, you clam right up. Right? We don't talk. Hmm. God says, take your salvation seriously. Why should we take it seriously? He says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For it is God who works in you. All right, so we work out our salvation, but it is God who, who is working in us. Now, if a stranger came up to you on the street and gave you a gift, would that gift be important to you? Depends on what kind of gift it is. Right. Right. So if they gave you a toothpick. Right. It's not that special, right? So would you say that if someone gives you a gift, depending on who the person is, will determine how much it means to you? Yeah? All right. And even if, even if you know the person really well and you love them a lot, if they give you a really thoughtless gift, you know, like, what's the worst gift you've ever gotten? What? A Superman toy. What? Fake teeth. Right? Like, the level of sacrifice of the gift also determines how special it is. And so, Paul says we're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Our salvation is the gift. Who it comes from. Who did it come from? It came from God right? And I think a lot of the reason we don't appreciate, we don't try to work out our salvation or live it out is that we don't appreciate who it came from. We don't appreciate uh, the character of God and who he is. And I know, you know, I know I don't as much as I should. The sacrifice that he made for this gift it's not, you know, it's not just a gift, but it's who it came from and how much he sacrificed for it. 
And God is the greatest person who could give us anything. And, not, and he didn't just give us just anything. He gave us his son. And, and his son was obedient to the point of death on a cross to pay for our sins. That's the gift of salvation that we have. That's why we should work it out with fear and trembling and take it seriously. But I know, you know, some of you don't take it seriously because I look at your Facebook page and the person at church is a lot different from the person on Facebook. Like I've seen Facebook pages with, I mean, more cuss words, more sexual pictures, and then they come to church and try to smile and say everything's okay. No. That's not working out your salvation. That's not taking it seriously. Because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So our salvation is not all about us. It's about God doing what he wants to do with us. So my question to you is, what is God doing in your life? What is God working at in your life? And you know, when I... Many times when I ask a teenager this question, you know what the answer is? Oh. And I don't think it's because you don't know. I think it's because you never thought about it. You know, we're so caught up in, in getting our schoolwork done and, you know, keeping our parents happy and keeping our friends happy um, that taking our faith seriously and trying to figure out what is God trying to teach me today? What is God working on in my life, in my character? Do I have an anger issue? You know, is lust consuming my life? Do I have a rebellious nature where everything anyone in authority says to me, I have to question it? If I had to ask, how many of you know that God is working on something in your life right now? Like, and that's cool. That's great. That's awesome. That's what he wants. He wants, he wants us to like, think and pray and read his word and understand, you know, God is working in you. For those of you who don't know what God is doing in your life, or at least trying to do anything? I mean, have you, even, have you even thought about it? Have you put any effort into your own spiritual growth? And, and this is what we were talking about in, in devotions uh, with the California team, right, Sean? Um, people want to grow spiritually, but we don't want to put any effort into it. And this passage tells them, you know, work at it and understand that it is God who is working in you as well. Paul goes on to say, see now, in light of all this, he's, he's told them, let God work in your life. Obey him, let God work in your life. And then he goes on to say, do all things without grumbling or, or, or questioning. My translation says questioning. Other translations will say complaining. And so what Paul is saying is, when he tells them don't complain or grumble, he's saying, don't complain or grumble about what God is doing in your life. Obey what God is trying to teach you. Obey the teaching that has been laid out before you. 
instead of trying to figure it all out on your own. Obey, do it without grumbling or complaining that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And this is where I bust your teens, Sean. Where, you know, they make fun of you and when you were walking out and they're saying they were mad that you would come and back. Um, I know, you know. It's like, what we're doing is... You, there, how do I say it? <laughs> you guys are supposed to stand out. You're supposed to shine like lights in the world. And if you don't, like it reflects on, on us. It reflects on me. It reflects on Sean. And, and what Paul is saying is that when, when it comes down to the day when Christ comes back, what he wants to be able to do is to look at the people that he's trained and look at them and say, man, I'm proud of them. They didn't, they didn't resist what God was doing in their life. They, they embraced it. And they didn't complain about it and make God look bad. Because when you complain about what God's doing in your life, you're really complaining about God. And so when all these other people are looking at you and they're saying, oh, he's a Christian and he hates what God's doing. That's disappointing to me. That's disappointing to Sean. It's disappointing to God. And I don't mean to like try to, to come down on you guys too hard. I just, I just, the whole point is to look at what God's trying to do in your life and accept it. And don't just drift through life and coast through and assume that, you know, this is just the way life is supposed to be. You know, I'm going to go... I'm going to finish high school and go to college and get married and have the kids. You know, I'm living on my time, on my plan, but how do you know what God wants you to do? Are you considering what God wants you to do? And what happens? Paul says, even if, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon, this, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is where we're supposed to rejoice. In our obedience, obedience leads to rejoicing. Disobedience leads to what? Maybe a little bit of fun, right? A little bit of pleasure for a little while. But I promise you, sin leads to regret, leads to consequences, leads to pain, leads to suffering, leads to destruction, bitterness, sadness. But obedience, as Paul talks about here, in the day of Christ, will lead to rejoicing. How long? Forever. So it's up to you. Will you choose to suffer now and obey and do the right thing and rejoice forever because of your obedience 
Or will you choose a little bit of pleasure now and a little bit of ease and a little bit of comfort to avoid maybe your friends talking about you? Will you embrace that sin only to suffer destruction and pain and bitterness? It's up to you guys. We want you to rejoice. We want you to end up in rejoicing through obedience. Not because God is big and scary, but because he is the greatest, he's the greatest God that we could have and he has made the greatest sacrifice for us out of love for us. Not because he had to, right? Because he loved you, even though we didn't love him. And so I ask you guys tonight, consider what God is doing in your life. Embrace it. Do it without complaining and grumbling. Make God look good. That's what this passage is about. Make God look good. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you for your word and for the challenge that it has for us. And, and Lord, you know in my own life, there are times when I don't consider what you're trying to teach me. And there are times when, when I do choose the easy path. But God, I also know what that reaps, what that, what that always turns into. So Lord, I just ask you to, to strengthen me, um, to forgive me. God, I want to make you look good. I want to let you work in my life for your goodwill and for your, for your pleasure, God. God, help each person here tonight. Some have not been taking their faith seriously. Some don't want to fear and tremble when they think about you. They don't, they're not in awe of you, God. And so, Lord, I just ask tonight that you would uh, do whatever it takes to put them in awe of you. In, in, your, in your love, God. Help them to understand how much you love them and how much you sacrifice for them. God, we thank you for, for your, who you are, for how great you are, for your love, for your power. That you are everywhere that you are always with us that you never leave us or forsake us we got to just pray for for each person in here tonight that they would understand that everything that you do in their life is because you love them in jesus name amen